Welcome to 1530, episode number seven. So to start it off, um, I guess our stat of the day was just a simple one that Better had a 52% chance coming in <coughs> to the Basel um, Open, and he won it today. He beat Marius Kopel in that final. Um, so pretty happy for Federer to win it at his hometown. And then, yeah, and then uh, Nishikori was uh, actually lost in Vienna to Kevin Anderson. But, Matt, what are your thoughts on those matchups and those matches? It's great. It's great to see Roger Federer winning again. That's good. Um, yeah, he had a solid match. Struggled to hold, it looks like, a little bit. He got broken three times, but overall he – Got the W. That's all that matters, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it would think they were saying it was his 99th uh, ATP World Tour uh, title, which is pretty cool. Um, and now he has nine nine titles in Basel, so one away from the double digits. Um, not Nadal's pretty familiar with the double digits, but like you said, um, he did kind of struggle pretty much all week on his serve. I felt like the I didn't get to watch the final this morning, but the other matches I watched throughout the week, a lot of three setters, a lot of uncharacteristic. Uh, errors from Federer, either off the forehand or just not serving as well as as we're used to him serving. Um, but he still, like you said, got the job done. Kopel had some great matches that he beat Chilich and he beat Zverev, so a lot of big upsets. He had some had some big shots. And with Kopel, what I noticed is that he also wouldn't wait for the errors. Zverev, um, part of the highlights I was watching, Zverev was keeping the ball kind of in the middle of the court, and Kopel would just <clears throat> take it early. And he was hitting some great winners. So he wasn't just being a pusher, waiting for the, the top guys to choke. He was going after it. And Zverev, I think, made by being a little too conservative. But yeah. On the note of Federer serving, if you look at the stats, Kopel only won two of his first serve, first return points. So of the 34 first serves that Roger got in, Kopel only won two of those. So that's wow. that's pretty good. When Roger got his first serve in, it was popping. Couple um, won fourteen of the of the thirty one second return points that he faced, but so he was able to kind of stay in in the match with that. But yeah, as yeah. far as Roger's first serve, it, it was on point. Yeah, and I think that's what I was kind of noticing throughout the week. I don't remember it's pulled up, but I remember seeing that second serve just like really low numbers, like thirty seven percent. You know, uh, you know he's winning that percent of. Of second serve, first serve is still obviously very high, like you mentioned. So I don't know if he's just uh, not putting as much on a second serve, or just being more tentative, or not going. I think that's the biggest thing because he he usually I was looking at the sets earlier. He was leading the tour in second uh, second serve percent one. He was in that top couple spots, but this week he's not really showing it. But like you're saying, first serve obviously feds pretty solid there. Um, yeah, let's see what else we got going on. So like you said, we have Paris coming up here, a Masters 1000 event. Should be pretty interesting. We have Nadal coming back from injury, Djokovic still looking hot, and Federer is, is in there. Who, I guess, who do you like for the title, and what, do, and what, what are you thinking for the last Masters event of the season? Yeah, I keep trying to discount Djokovic, uh, but he's proven us. <coughs> he's, he's playing well. Still not, obviously, to the level he was before his injuries, but um, he's definitely here, definitely playing well. So you have to respect that. Uh, he has the best chance to win going into the tournament at 31.1% according to Ultimate Tennis Statistics. Um, I'm always pulling for Rafa. He's in second. 
at 26.5% chance. Um, so we'll see. But Rafa um, is in the same same section as Shapovalov. And so I think he'd face him in like the third round, which could be could be problematic. Hmm. But we'll see. Interesting. Yeah, I need to pull up that draw there. Um, I know Federer is in a tough tough spot there, I think. Um, I was hearing he could meet Djokovic in the semis and some other people mm-hmm. earlier on. Do you have that pulled up yeah, there? He's on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Fed's on Joke's side of the draw. Um, Joke would have to play, Sis- well, I, assuming that Sissipas gets there, he'd have to face Sissipas and then Fed. Um, so that could be a, a trap match as well. An interesting one to watch. But. Hmm. But yeah, you're right. So he would have to get through Fed to get to the finals, Joe Quid, and then hopefully face Rafa there. Right. And then Federer looks like round of 32, he could face either Raonic or Sanga. Neither of those guys are that easy to, to face. And then Fognini True. or Benoit Pair. And Benoit Pair gave him some trouble earlier in the year. Quarterfinals, Nishikori, Anderson. And then like St. Semis, Djokovic probably or Chilich. So yeah, I, I, like you're saying, I'm also looking to the Tsitsipas matchup as well. But for Federer, before getting to the semis, looks like he could have a tough road. Um, I guess the other side of the draw, Nadal looks like he had it a little bit easier, but he still got Zverev and some other of the young guns coming on his side of the draw. But Cool. Right. Um, and I think just to break it out, so like you said, Djokovic was the favorite. Uh, they have Zverev as the fourth favorite at about 5%, uh, Federer 18%, and then Nadal kind of in between, pretty close to Djokovic at 26 uh, and a half percent. So it'll be interesting for Rafa. You know, I guess the, that he's going back into it. He must be healthy, or maybe he's just seeking to fend off Djokovic. So that'll be interesting to see his health through the first couple of matches, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both. Rafa will always tell you that he doesn't care about the ranking, but <laughs> right. I think deep down he does. Right. He really does. So. Yeah. And Federer said the same thing too, but then remember earlier this year, he went and entered Rotterdam, hadn't played there for a while. Was it in that tournament? Because it was based on Rafa not playing a tournament. And so Roger jumped in there, got the 500 points, kept the number one ranking for a little bit longer before Nadal took it away again. So like you're saying, they, they say they don't care, but when the opportunity arises, they do care. So Sure. It's a, it's a game of strategy as much as it is. <laughs> it is totally a game of chess for sure. Um, yeah. So... I guess a couple a couple things that are interesting kind of outside the normal tour grind was Wimbledon came out with a new fifth set rule change. You want to talk about that rule change and, and what your thoughts are on that? So I think it's interesting. I, for me personally, I think that uh, the no tie break rule for the fifth set uh, is what makes these tennis slams so fun <laughs> and so interesting. Uh, Wimbledon has a what I said for the fans, yeah, for the fans, true. Uh, these players are here for the fans, they're getting paid millions, yeah, <laughs> they can play a little longer match for us. <laughs> no, no, these the matches do get long. I mean, Isner's crazy match against Mahout was in the extreme. So, Wimbledon's response and answer is to at 12 all in the fifth set have a, have a tie break at that point which I think is good because you still have a little bit of that um, intense match and the fifth set going longer, but you still have a way to end it, which I'm sure is helpful for scheduling 
the tournament as well. And they don't have to push all their players off that court for the day or two that they're on there. So I think all in all, it's good. They, they have the players in mind. Changes probably needed to be made. Uh, so I think it's helpful all, all around. Yeah, I agree. I think they. I think it's definitely a good thing, especially seeing, like you said, this year, um, Anderson and Isner had a great semifinal, but then it was a little bit of a letdown going into the final, right? Since Anderson was so right. gassed. Um, and like you're saying, for fans, I mean, I enjoy the long matches, but I think for the players and trying to move on to the next round for that player, I do think it is a little bit tough. And so we'll never see a 70-68 again like we did with Isner Mahout <laughs> match a few years ago, but. No. I think this is a pretty good compromise. 12 all. It's really not going to affect that many matches. Have some statistical analysis here um, that was done. So they're talking about how the matches that are, most matches that are around three hours, it's not going to have any change because you're usually not going to go to 12 all in the fifth set um, in under three hours. Um, it's not going to affect even matches that go four hours plus. <clears throat> like the difference is only going to affect a difference of 10% matches, but it's when you go five hours plus it is, is really going to affect more matches, the new format and the old format. And so really for the average fan, for most matches, it's not going to affect them. But for these odd matches that somehow are able to make it, make it past that, it will affect it. So I don't know. Personally, I used to be a fan of, like you said, no tie breaks. Only the U.S. Open does a tie break in the fifth set. I used to be a fan of all the other slams that do that. But I think I'm leaning more toward the U.S. Open format. I, I enjoy the fifth set tie break. It's the excitement of it. I don't know if you remember the team and the doll match this year is what I'm thinking of specifically at the U S open. That fifth set tie break was pretty electric. The crowd was really into it. It was incredible because it's not just based on the guy's serve, right? You knew the match was going to end um, after the service or after the tie break. So I think for me, I'm, I'm leaning toward the other slams to do a fifth set tie break. But like you said, Wimbledon, it's a, it's kind of its own unique um, thing and they can make their own rules. Um, there's been some Epic matches like Federer Nadal. That was, that was a fifth set that I guess would have been in a tiebreak if they had that rule, but instead was Nadal winning at eight, six in the fifth. So good compromise. But I think for me, I'm starting to lean toward um, a tiebreak in the fifth. But we'll see like you're saying now that the U S open already has a rule. Wimbledon now has a rule. What are the French open and Australian open going to do? Do you think they're going to fall suit? And on which side of the line do you think you're going to go? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think at some point they'll follow suit. Right. It just makes sense from a, from from the venue, from for the players, for the fans, I think because you bring up a good point in that when you when you get to the fifth set, the players are already tired. You go you go deep into a fifth set, they're not playing tennis. They're serving aces. Yeah, they're exactly. walking to the other side. They're serving, so it's just it's yeah the quality the quality certainly decreases. And yeah, I mean the chances of going further in the tournament are probably significantly hampered because of that match. So right. I, it wouldn't surprise me to see changes made in the other two. I think that the U.S., even though they already have a tiebreak, uh, they need to make changes based on the heat there. Yes, uh, that's true. That, that has hampered players significantly. Apparently, it gets real stuffy down there, really hot. Yeah, with the new roof. Yeah, exactly. There was mm -hmm. definitely a lot of issues this year. And it was just like you said, record, record hot temperatures. I know Wimbledon right. had extra heat days this year. They'd never seen it so hot. And then US Open, again, there's some record heat. So maybe just with with the way things are trending, might need to have some new heat rules or look at some cooling there underneath the roof because the natural 
um, the way to circulate the air that they had, maybe that's not working out as well as they they would have predicted. So you bring up a good point there too. But I just think, especially with the French Open, you know, like uh, I st they still don't have a roof over there. I don't think. I think they're planning one, but they've had some issues in the past with matches running late long into the night and then like Shannon messes up their schedule and then people have to start the next day. I think the one I'm thinking of particularly was Murray. Um, who was he playing? Don't remember, but it was the long fist that had to go into the next day. And then Murray was tired going into the day after that and hampered his chances when he went and faced Djokovic in the final. That was, that was a few years ago, but yeah, it can, it can, when you bring up, sorry. Yeah. You bring up another good point in that rarely do you see players really criticize a venue or, or anything of that nature. Um, I feel like the one exception to that is when they're playing late into the night. Mm -hmm. If there's a player that's playing past like, uh, especially if they get past midnight, man, they will say something about it in their post their interview after the match. It's, it, it must really affect them to play so late. And I imagine it does. I've never been in the situation. <laughs> But you, you can't recover. You can't get the sleep. You can't do your your whole process. And so, yeah, it's good overall. Yeah, exactly. And just I just want to summarize. I'll uh, I'll explain the data a little bit more. So if you do reach twelve all in the fifth set, now there is a zero percent chance it's going to go greater than six hours um, with this new format. And it's a, like a one percent chance you're even going to go more than five hours with. With the normal matches, like I said, there's no way um, with the chances of all matches that you're going to go even over five hours. So it's just interesting that it's really going to cut down the time. You know, instead of like a 10-hour match, these different things, it's like five is going to be very, very extremely rare, even even four hours for most matches. So um, I think from the time aspect, Wimbledon did it right, but I don't know. It still might be tough, even if you make it to 12-all for that player to move on. But we'll see. I'm interested to see it implemented. So. Let's see other things. One, one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, this is again, more kind of a news type thing than a tennis statistic, but uh, Federer, I don't know if you heard about this one, but Federer was talking a little bit about his hand, the injury that he had sustained on his hand or his wrist um, that happened a little bit on the grass season. And he talked about how it kind of hampered his forehand. Um, I think he mainly said it had just happened through the summer and now he was healthy again. And I know, I know some people were, were kind of criticizing him for it, saying, well, he's taking away from these guys like Anderson, who beat him at Wimbledon, um, Korich, who beat him at Halle. Um, and, and I don't know. I just feel like it's um, – I want your thoughts on it too, but I just feel like with athletes, right, we ask them these questions. We want them to be honest. And then when they tell them or when they tell us, then we kind of like, oh, what's he doing? He's taking credit away. And, and to Federer's credit – in the moment, he didn't say, oh, I'm injured. That's why I lost. It's later on kind of more of a, a looking back like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I wasn't fully, you know, I was spraying forehands all over the place because my, my wrist wasn't exactly correct. So I, I feel like he's taking less credit away from players instead of doing it after the end of each loss. But he's done it before, like in 2013. He revealed, yeah, I had some back problems I was dealing with through the whole year. But I don't know. What, what do you feel about injury reveals and revealing it early rather than late or – this one in particular, because I know we were getting some mixed things I was reading online and on social media. Yeah, there will always be critics, right? I don't know. I I didn't even think about the, the fact that he's taken away from players who have beaten them 
since he said that energy injury started. I, mm -hmm. I think, I mean, the wins that people have against Fed are still just as valid as, as bef you know, before we knew about this. Right. Fed was still out there playing. You know, he Fed does not make excuses, and that there's no way that was the motivation for him explaining that he had this injury. I think it's just to provide information for the public, right? You you mentioned we, we ask the questions, we want to know everything about these players, right, and how they're being affected on the court. And so, yeah, I mean, it's good to know. Oh, okay, well, that makes a little bit of sense. Why maybe he was missing some shots here and there, but he's still fed and he was still playing well. And he was still playing. Yeah. So it was at least managing the injury. And the people still beat him. And so good on them. You know, you still beat Fed. Still a win for them and a loss for Fetter. I, yeah. I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, exactly. And and to me, it just uh I don't have a problem with it either. And I, in fact, I think it's probably classier to do it kind of looking back uh months yeah. away or even a year away, like he did with the back injury. So that you take less credit away and it's less of a focus on it. But I mean, it, it honestly does make sense. He did look a little bit off of the grass. He was serving okay, but there was just certain times when you're like, oh man, he's he can't find the court right now with his forehand. So mm -hmm. honestly, it kind That's of doesn't make sense. But um, yeah, just just wanted to get your opinion on that one because, like I said, I was surprised he was taking some flack for that. Um, one thing I was pulling up just um, statistic wise right now. Looking just to, uh, again, I know for for a tennis season or or looking into into a tennis player into his game, a lot of people think, oh yeah, you know, even the most dominating players winning almost every point, and just how that that's not the case. Um, so the total percent, I guess, if you want to give a guess, what do you think? Who do you think the top player this year is for most points won as far as a percentage, and then around what percent that is. Mm. I would say Djokovic, and I would say around 59%. Okay, Djokovic is number two. Ah, okay. So another guess for number one? I'll, I'll give you one more guess. Someone more. you enjoy watching. <laughs> <laughs> game. Uh, is it Rafa? Rafa's number one. Joke, yeah, and then probably only because the French. <laughs> yeah. The college is dominated the French. Exactly. Actually, I think it is career. That's the problem. So let me do. Oh, it is career. Okay. 2018. It's still Nadal. Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, Del Potro. Yep. So, and it's not quite 59%. It isn't. It is in the 50s. It's 55%. Uh, percent. Uh, okay. Even though. Um. Yeah. So 55.4%. So that's just again to show you, and that's like Nadal. Besides his injuries, he had a pretty big. He had a pretty dominating year, all things considered. Um. He won the French. He was pretty close at Wimbledon. I mean, very, very close at Wimbledon against Djokovic. And US Open, I think he was seeing a little bit of injuries, but still close there. And he's winning barely over half of, of the points. But again, just have to remind listeners and other people that are following tennis that winning 50, you know, 50 something percent of the points, that is pretty dominating in tennis. Um, especially when you think about on your second serve, winning 50% is considered pretty good. So again, just want to remind, remind, remind people that there are a lot of points played, right? And a lot of people say, yeah, it's just decided a few points here and there. And really, that could that, that can really be the case. Um, so even Nadal and Djokovic having pretty dominating years, they're under 55%, or Djokovic is under 55%. So just thought that was an interesting uh, thought, because I know people talk about that a lot sometimes is, oh, yeah, the player wins every point. Well, not really. You know, other 
you're playing against other professional players who have really good serves too, and they have other good right. games. So, oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else do we have on the horizon? Uh, another thing I think we mentioned on the podcast before, but David Ferrer, this is his last season on the tour. Um, great fighter, so kind of wanted to do a little tribute to him. A little bit, any memorable ones? I remember, Matt, when you and I uh, were at Indian Wells a few years back, we we got to watch David Ferrer play at Indian Wells at a night session. I think it was court three. It was one of the smaller courts, so we were able to be pretty close, um, and Ferrer played even Dodig. Um, and they went to a third set tiebreaker. And I remember just cheering on Ferrer because he, he had to kind of fight back a little bit um, to win that match. And just seeing the ferocity, I always loved just his playing style, running around, getting those inside-out forehands. Um, yeah, just such a fighter. I think good example to all of us on working hard and working hard to the point he never gives up. But I don't know if you had any David Ferrer memories or or anything you wanted to no, talk about. Only that I was always worried when I saw him in the in a possible matchup against a player that I liked. Yeah, because <laughs> he's he's always he's he he's always in the match. He's that he plays. I mean, he's like you said, does not give up on a on a match, and so you always get worried. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Even this year when he played when he played Rafa, you know, mm-hmm. the first set was still a little bit tight. I mean, after that, Rafa clearly was able to get an advantage. Yeah, but even sure. then, David was fighting for every point. And you're sure. like, Is the match going to turn, and that never did. But like you're saying, it's the whole nerve wracking if you. It's a player that you like the first playing because you never know. He can fight his way to victory. So I know a lot of people have said, a lot of analysts have said, he's maybe one of the best players um, to not have won a slam. Um, he's only won. He's only been to one Grand Slam final that I can think of, the French Open against Nadal, um, and lost that, of course. But yeah, and I, I think that that could be true. He's obviously a very accomplished player. Otherwise, won Masters, won thousands of things, but. Just didn't have a lot of good chances in the slams. So, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. It's, it's tough when you're. It's tough when the bulk of your career is during the big four, right? So, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to break exactly. through. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I would agree with those analysts in saying that. Yeah, he may not have a, a grand slam, but definitely one of the best players out there. Yeah, he will be sorely missed on the tour. I know he's he's one that a lot of players even he's kind of a player favorite as well. So. He will be sorely missed. And I think, I can't remember uh, the way it's actually going to work, but so obviously the tennis season wraps up in November with the ATP World Tour Finals for those that are invited, the very few top eight players. Um, So he obviously won't be going to that, but I think there's a tournament um, in Spain that's going to be his last tournament. So this is his last official season because he's only going to do a couple tournaments next season, just closing his career there. And I know other players have done that, like Roddick, didn't he? I think he ended the US Open, so... He'll get his send off, but right, yeah. Um, let's Very see good. if that's most of what we had to cover. I guess I did. I did talk about Vienna. How uh, Anderson took out Nishikori. I was a little bit surprised at that, and also Team Team was the hometown. I mean, he's from Austria. He's a twenty-one percent uh, favorite. Nishikori was twenty-four percent favorite, and Anderson was able to swoop in there and, and win that. So I think Anderson's just having an excellent year. I'm very impressed with the he week. He really is. Yeah, you talk about somebody else with a work ethic. Anderson is super dedicated, has an insane work ethic, but is also extremely humble at the same time. I think he and Freire are both that way. They play well and work hard. Anderson's improved his game tremendously. We've seen that this year, and, and yet they're probably the most humble people on the court. 
I agree. Yeah. And Raonic goes up there too. I think there's players that know how to work hard and leave it all on the court. It was cool to see him beat Djokovic, kind of get some revenge at the Laver Cup. Because that was pretty surprising. I don't think anyone thought he was going to beat Djokovic there. Even himself, he's like, I was pretty pleased to get that. So mm-hmm. good on him. Um, I guess just to conclude, before we look forward to our upcoming episodes, just looking here at the rankings, getting close to the end of the year here for singles. So we still got Nadal, who has a barely a 200-point lead on Djokovic. Uh, Federer's beneath him, uh, or beneath Djokovic by about 1,000. Um, Del Potro's only a few hundred points off Federer. So that's four. Zverev's five. Chilich is six. Team is seven. Anderson's eight. And Isner's nine. So it looks like Anderson just broke in there with his win. He's bumped out Isner. So he could be that last spot going to London uh, for the World Cup Finals, which is always a very fun event. Um, any thoughts on those last few or any move, last-minute movements we could have? Dimitra, uh, number 10. He's had a not a very good year, especially compared to last, but – I know. I'm surprised he's there. Intense still. I know. Me too. Me too. He won the ATP World Tour Finals last year, which was pretty shocking. Over Goffin, won it, but he's really, really struggled this year. Yeah, I mean those last even what seven, even six through through ten are all pretty close. I think yeah. we could easily see some movement. Seeing you know, what happens in Paris and going from there. That is interesting. True. Yeah, I think the ones that are safe are definitely the first five and then probably Chilich. But, yeah, like you're saying, after that, yeah. the last couple of slots, that could be very interesting. So we'll see what happens. Djokovic very could easily end up being number one in the world to end the season, but so could Nadal if he stays healthy and plays. So there's a lot to play for here still at the end of the year. I would love for even the last match of the season to have that that same play factor. I know with Federer and Djokovic there was one. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but even the very last match of the year, Determine number one. So we will see a lot of tennis still to play and looking forward to Paris. Um, before we conclude, I'll just talk about just a couple of future ideas we have for episodes. So as we conclude the tennis season, we want to think about those matches that are most memorable. And we'll kind of talk about those. Any weird statistics we remember seeing? There's, a, of course, a lot that we see through those box scores. And then any big, any of the big ELO shifts, especially when you consider – um, those young players and who they're upsetting and as they stay, as they keep their ELO um, elevated. So those are things that I want to talk about. Anything else, Matt, for, for future episodes or any concluding thoughts? I think those are good. We talked in the past about doing a greatest of all time argument. Yes. But uh, let's see if we can squeeze that in here maybe. Yeah, that'd be that'd be good. That's some good off-season stuff too. And I know uh, mm-hmm. my brother who's listened to the podcast, he, he would like us to talk a little bit more about the older players as well. He likes to be focused oh, yeah. on the, the, the current guys, Nadal and Federer, but he's like, yeah, I want to hear about like Borg or McEnroe. Maybe he watched the movie. I don't know, but just talking about those players <laughs> and right. maybe, maybe how they would stack up or just even statistically what made them so great. And so those could also be some future ideas that we want to want to play with. So great. Well, with that, we'll conclude and we'll see you on the court. <laughs>